a lot of us know at least a few Catholic priests, but less of us know a few Catholic nuns. However, that is exactly who my guest is today, Sister Teresa Paul of the Sisters of the Third Order of St. Francis. Sister, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I really appreciate you making the drive and making the time. Thank you, Paul, for having me here. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. (laughs) So how about we just go ahead and start off with a massive question. How did you wind up joining the Sisters of the Third Order of St. Francis? How did you come to decide to become a nun in the first place? From birth, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's too long. Um, Actually, um, I've been in the in uh, life, basically. I work, um, I finish school, work, and um, I actually get laid off. And then, um, so I was kind of confused for maybe like about a couple years through the discernment and things, what to do next. Um, my background is actually in design, and specifically in garment and fashion design. Mm-hmm. So um, after thinking about it for a while, um, I decided not to go back to the industry. Um, so I uh, decided to be more active in the church and then um, also went to pilgrimage in Holy, to Holy Land. In Holy Land, I met a sister and... Um, Looking back, I was thinking, I've asked sisters and priests about their um, vocation. Like, how do you know exactly um, God is calling you to your vocation? And most of them said, um, I always know since I was little. So um, this sister, particular sister that I saw in Holy Land, um, she said the same thing. Um, I always know I want to be a sister since I was little. And I think I almost bid um, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. I want to come in to join the, her congregation since uh, she was like 11 or something like that. So um, I said, oh, yeah. Like in the back of my mind, I thought, um, there's nothing to do with you. It's not, it's not your calling, you know. Um, I never really think, I never really thought about um being a religious, so I just listened to her. But then she said, I just love Jesus. And um, it just makes me think about my love to Jesus. And I was like, I love Jesus too, but I don't have that, the one that she shows me. And I just felt short, you know. So when I came back from Holy Land, I decided to start looking around, you know, like try to look into religious life and um, send emails to religious uh, communities um, if they happen to have a <laughs> website and emails. Um, and then, um, but it, doesn't, it didn't go anywhere. And finally, I was going to attend a discernment retreat. And then it didn't go anywhere either because uh, there's a lot of people that goes into discernment retreat knowing exactly what they want. And um, they're a little bit further in the discernment. 
And you said discernment retreat, which is a retreat specifically made for people who are discerning joining the religious life. Religious life or priests, yes. Priesthood, Mm -hmm. uh, the nunhood. I'm not sure if that's what it's called. (laughs) Um, We call it religious lives. Um, Actually, there's a difference between nuns and sisters. Um, Nuns is actually the ones that live uh, in a cloister. uh, Cloister. Um, so they live in the monastery and they ha- they live a cloister life. So you will rarely see nuns. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the the religious uh, women that is outside doing you know teaching or um, uh, preaching or um, retreat uh, work and things like that. Usually they're sisters. Sisters are more social in the world, doing yeah, things doing with active, people. Yeah, active work. Yeah. Cloistered nuns, however, yes. they, as the name implies, are cloistered. Yes. Away from the outside world. Exactly, and they usually do um, <clears throat> their main um, apostolate um, prayer. So they pray a lot. Um, the works that they did usually on the side. So, like some of them makes. Uh, altar bread, you know, some of them uh, sell cookies or some of them like um, make fastmen for priests and for mass and things like that. Okay, that's how they kind of pay the bills and yeah. stuff. Okay, now this was the most summarized, zoomed out view of the last few years of your life. <laughs> Perhaps we should start even earlier. And I did a little research on you and I know that you <laughs> were born in Indonesia, yes. which is the number one most populated Muslim country in the world. The most Muslims that live in any country, how am I trying to say this? The highest population of Muslims live in Indonesia, predominantly Muslim place, Islamic country. Uh-huh. Just last week, I had one of the most famous online Islamic apologists or whatever you want to call them on the show sitting right where you sat. So I have learned a lot about Islam <laughs> okay. and uh Catholics and Islam don't exactly jive together very well. So when you grew up in Indonesia, was your family Islamic? Did you convert? Or were they Catholics in a sea of Muslims? Um, actually, my family converted from uh, Buddhism. From Buddhism, <laughs> interestingly. Yes. So in Indonesia, there's Islam, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, Christian Catholics, and Christian Protestant. So... Um, my family was Buddhist, and I'm the first cradle Catholic. Okay. Yeah, in well, the family. Do you know anything about why they decided to convert from Buddhism to Catholicism? I don't really know exactly, but um, my mom and dad, I think, um, the one who really started um, in their family because their brothers and sisters follow after um, except one, and um, actually, uh, sh- uh, my dad's side on my 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 aunt on my dad's side um, was just turned um, Catholic just before she died several hey. years ago. Yeah. Okay, so they got the whole family to do it eventually. Yeah, and not um, not we didn't really evangelize or anything, but I think they just felt like because. Um, uh, my dad was the second oldest, and then my mom is the second oldest also. So I guess they kind of felt like, well, why don't follow um, their older sister or brothers, you know? Yeah. Do <laughs> I you don't know, know really exactly why. Do you know much about the religion <laughs> of Buddhism? 
Um, not much to um, really uh, tell you. Um, a lot of um, our practice is more cultural Buddhism than um, religion part because um, I'm also Chinese. So, the lot, yeah, there's a lot of... Um, um, our practice of Buddhism is more uh, cultural than the religion part. I see. Okay, so the way your family lived was more by Buddhist principles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the religion and the faith that they practiced wasn't exactly that yeah. Buddhist. Yeah. They weren't that religious, yeah. I see. They, were not, they weren't religious in Buddhist part of it. But I was born um, cradle Catholic. I was baptized when I was... Well, two months, three months, yeah. So I didn't really um, know that part much of it. <laughs> right. It's interesting because when I talk to people, so let's see, when were you, when were you born? Uh, early seventies, then mm-hmm. was it? Mm-hmm. It seems like that generation, my dad included, mm-hmm. they didn't ask their parents. You know, what was your story? Tell me about your life. It yeah. was just that just didn't really happen in that generation. It didn't yeah, seem. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. Didn't really ask. Um, yeah, we never really talk about it either. I was just start um, thinking about it. No, hmm. no. I just remember, you know, um, it's actually very interesting, especially maybe um, the Chinese culture part of it, because I remember my uh, grandparents uh, pass away. My grandfather uh, on my mom's side passed away, and I was maybe four, and um, I remember wearing the uh, white uh, mourning clothes, and the whole family is wearing that um, in the uh, funeral. And then um, there's a lot of crying, you know, it's um, part of the mourning. I kind of remember almost like, you know, the Jewish culture also, you know, like there's that uh, mourning uh, women's that cry. Um, I don't know if it's just... uh, also, you know, of course, we are sad because um, our uh, gra- my grandparents pass away. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this. You're Chinese mm-hmm. in this part of your family's culture. China. Have you ever been to China before? No. No. Okay, <laughs> no. but your family still was Chinese culturally, at least, and ethnically, presumably. Yeah. What do you think about China and the Catholic Church? I mean, that's. I got to ask that. People are going to be wondering your opinion <laughs> because not too long ago, I believe Pope Francis allowed for China to have some say, the government of China, the CCP, uh, to have a say in what bishops were allowed to practice the faith. Like they kind of had their say in picking the bishops. I don't know exactly how that worked, but do you know anything about that or have any opinion on China and the Catholic Church? If you've been living with an aching back, debilitating imbalances, or any physical discomfort and just want to get back to living a fit and happy life, look no further than In Motion Fitness Center and Outpatient Therapy at Fairview Haven in Fairbury, Illinois. Our highly skilled therapy team will guide you through proven and effective exercises to help you regain your strength, movement, and mobility, all with our renowned level of love and care. Live your best life. Call our therapy team at 815-692-6724 to find out how we can serve you today. No, I don't know anything about that. Um, I don't really follow um, 
those kind of things actually mm-hmm. to be honest with you sure. <laughs> um it's kind of hard because it was um to me um being catholics is just um part of being universe you know it's like to follow what um the pope was saying right um or the magisterium the church that's part of being catholic to um be united you know of course there's a lot of different ones different rites different uh ways uh we do things you know latin rites and um you know byzantine rites we're still catholic but you know there it's like there's a unified system there sure <laughs> yes you all adhere to yeah. the head of the church in yeah. rome yeah. the pope Yes, that's what makes the whole church so special. Mm-hmm. There is a hierarchy, and there is a central point at which all all roads lead to Rome. Yeah. No matter the specifics of the way that you practice the faith, it's yeah. all relatively the same. It all focuses around the same things, and it all traces its lineage back to Rome, and it takes mm-hmm. orders from Rome. And it's kind of a beautiful part of the structure of the faith, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't tell you much about that either. Mm-hmm. Well, but, um, oh, continue. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but um, the um, back to your question about being um, growing up in a Muslim country, um, I felt like um, it was not really a lot of um, what do you call it, like arguments or anything bad happening between us and the Muslim around my time when I was growing up. So I didn't really have that kind of uh, uh, animosity with different religion. I have um, Muslim friends. I have Christian friends, Buddhists, Hindus. We just play together and hang out together. I did go to a Catholic school, and we did, we did have um, Muslim friends and Muslim students in the, in the school also. So... Um, it doesn't really bother me, and um, uh, part of our um, being in the uh, a lot of cultures uh, going on in our country, not even just like Ch- being Chinese, but in Indonesia itself, there are so many different islands and cultures. So we probably we have to compromise and, you know. Accept each other. <laughs> Learn how to get along, yes. despite the differences. Exactly. <laughs> I see. So you mentioned that you studied fashion yeah. <laughs> and design. Exactly. And that is a field, whether you know this or not, I assume it's always been this way. That's a very liberal thing uh-huh. to get into. I went to Millican University. There were some fashion students there. Mm. And that was they were as left as it gets. I mean... How did you persevere through that? How did you remain Catholic? Because to be Catholic incorporates being conservative. Yeah. Was your faith ever challenged when you went to school for graphic, or not graphic, uh, fashion? Um, I wasn't actually, um, uh, quote-unquote, uh, devout Catholic, I guess. Mm. I do I do practice. I did practice. I never left the church to, to revere in any ways. But I think I was just doing the required, um, you know, Sundays, Mass, you know, uh, confessions, and once in a while, pray rosaries kind of thing. Um, so at that time, I was just having fun. You know, I didn't really um, 
evangelized. I didn't really see anything wrong with anything that we were doing. Of course, there's a lot of things that now I realize is not really acceptable. <laughs> mm. um, <clears throat> um, I have gay friends. I have um, uh, done some of, you know, um, co-clubbings with my friends and things like that, which is not, I don't, I didn't think that it was a sin, you know, it was just kind of, you know, having fun with friends, you know. Sure. So I didn't really do it like uh, every weekend or things or anything like that. So I just felt like I was doing whatever is um, with, I can enjoy it around that time. You were being a normal college kid. Yeah. yeah. I see. And also around when I was working, you know, there there are those uh, things that um, I did with my boss, you know, like just hanging out, going to um, clubs and things. But uh, I didn't, I even at that time when I was not really a devout Catholic, but of course I still go to you know, Ash Wednesday and get my ashes. <laughs> and then they will say, what is that? Why is your forehead dirty? And I have to, like, explain it. Um, they will think that I was very prudent, you know, like, oh, don't talk about these things with her, you know, <laughs> because right. she might think we're so bad or something like that. But I didn't even, I wasn't even really thinking that I was really devout and really... Um, love God the way I should be. It was just kind of the thing you did. You practiced mm-hmm. Catholicism, you went to Mass, you went mm-hmm. to Ash Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your life didn't necessarily focus on that. It Not yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and you went to what? The University of Texas? Uh, University of North Texas um, in Denton. Got it. And <clears throat> then you moved. I thought this was interesting. You moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> That I mean, talk about. Where did go- you get all this? Did it was an, a few you? articles I read. <laughs> hey, your stuff—you've been interviewed before. Your stuff's out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're a superstar. <clears throat> yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> I moved to. Um, you know, I was in Texas, and then you know, to get a good job in fashion, I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna have to move to. At first, actually, I was thinking about moving to New York. But then I decided, yeah, that's too much. So I moved to L.A. <laughs> because my brother is in San Diego. So I was um, staying over at her his place for a while and then until I get a job in L.A. And I, um, yeah, I was in L.A. And, you know, God works in his ways and his time. And um, around that time, actually, I met a, a really good friend of mine, who was um, the president of the uh, young adult in one of the parish that I went to. Mm. So I joined the young adult group in uh, South Pasadena. And, um, yeah, I, I, I contributed her to be one of the person that kind of wrangled me in a little bit more <laughs> towards the church. <laughs> so what time was this? Uh, was this the 90s? yeah. Okay, the 90s in California, that was a poppin' time. Technology was booming, getting close to that dot-com bubble. Uh, It it was an exciting time to be in California, Yeah, it's actually, you you know what, actually it's uh, early 2000, because I remember going to the the 2000 
New Year's 2000 in Vegas with my brother. Wow. So, yeah, we did win there, so... Okay, <laughs> got it. Early 2000s in Los Angeles. Yeah. Were you working for a fashion design company? Or um, what were you I doing? was working for a Halloween costume uh, company. Okay. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Using yeah. your fashion knowledge for making Halloween costumes. Yes, um, and Halloween costumes. And, um, you know, it's actually very interesting. Uh, the first time I met the... When I went into the interview, I was like, so what else do you guys really actually do? And they're like, the costumes. It's like, just for one day? You know, just for one day? The whole year you work on the things for one day. Um, yeah. Um, I was pretty amazed how much uh, business there is for that one day only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of Halloween and being Catholic, this fires me up every single year. <sighs> you know what one of the most popular costumes I see is, especially among these college women, is like the, the sexy nun or something yeah. like that. <laughs> you notice that? Yeah. And priests and stuff? Yeah, yeah. What's so, that make you feel? Well, um, I don't, I don't uh, hate it per se, you know, it's like, it's not good, you know, but at least there's a nun, you know, well, it's not portraying a good one, but maybe in some ways, God will work something in their heart somehow. I don't know. He's the one that in charge. He can do anything he wants (laughs) and use anything. I mean, even the worst thing, he can make it good. And so I, I can't really change that, you know, um, because um, I admitted that uh, we did a lot of sexy stuff also when it, we were in uh, doing a Halloween costume, when I was doing a Halloween costume. Sure. So, I mean, it's just the way people want it. There's a lot of people who wants to buy it. So we just uh, cater for the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Supply and demand. Mm -hmm. Easy as that. Mm -hmm. And you're right, though. Part of me has secretly wanted to put on a priest uniform, not (laughs) uniform, priest vestments, I guess, for Halloween, Uh but then not be a jerk and go out and actually talk about God. (laughs) It'd be, you know, part of being a priest looks really cool to me. And I've discerned the priesthood plenty, Uh but to get to wear their vestments and then go out and actually talk about God, I always thought that'd be interesting and kind of fun and give me a taste of a little of what they do and also surprise people. But you're right. The whole mockery of those Halloween costumes of Uh being the sexy nun is this is supposed to be a holy Mm -hmm. profession. And here I am doing something funny with it. Yeah. But people in seeing this person making a mockery of that will think, okay, they're making a mockery of one of the most holy things you can do. Maybe that gets some gears turning at least in part and gets them thinking about, you know, is God real? Yeah. Maybe I should have stayed Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Just, I see what you're yeah. saying. The Compound, located on 800 North Division Street in Chinoa, Illinois, is a wrestling training facility for youth and high school freestyle, folk style, and Greco-Roman wrestling. Here we are driven to teach wrestling technique to athletes who strive for the highest levels of success in this sport. 
athletes from the compound have earned gold at IKWF, IESA, and IHSA state tournaments, as well as national and international competitions, and have gone on to wrestle for Division I colleges. For gold standard wrestling education and development, come to the Compound Wrestling Training Center in Shenoa, Illinois. There can be a lot of good that could come from what looks like a really profane bad yeah. thing. It can be like turning somebody that was just kind of like thinking about us, like, hey, that's not good, you know, even turning the other way around, you know, instead mm -hmm. of just joining them. Right. Yeah. So, um, what I was thinking, oh, actually, I wanted, uh, I was going to mention, when I was uh, taking my vacation one time, I was, I went home on uh, Halloween day, and then I went to this uh, grocery store, and the cashier was like, oh, there's a nun here, oh, we have to behave, and I'm like, no, I'm just early wearing my Halloween costume, <laughs> <laughs> and Eric, oh, really? Oh, your costume is really good. And I was like, no, I'm real. <laughs> so I just have to tease them. <laughs> it seems like you have a good sense of humor. It, I think Thanks. sometimes people think that sisters and nuns, that they're super strict, no fun, no joking around, <laughs> ultra serious people. Yeah. Is there any truth to that? Nah, well, maybe some of them. But, um, well, you know, there's always race of people around, not just in the convent. You know, outside there's serious people. There's really jokers, you know. It's like, it's like uh, all over. Same thing in a convent, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so you said convent. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, you're okay. You mentioned the convent. You can be a cloistered nun, and a nun is different than a sister. So you're a sister. You're not a nun, correct? No, I'm not a nun. Correct. Okay, got it. Perfect. But you are you're not cloistered, but you are a part of a convent. Is that correct? Yeah, a convent is actually um, just what we call our home, basically a convent. Okay. Yeah. So um, like a rectory or yeah, a monastery. Exactly. But uh, I live in the mother house. The mother house is usually where the superior live. Um, also, our novitiate is there and uh, formation. Uh, for um, all the new sisters is there. And convents usually um, be uh, like mission houses. So there's ones usually they have like uh, our, our apostolate is in healthcare. And we used to have convents in each of our uh, medical centers and our hospitals. There's There are sisters that live there that... Um, do their service in the medical centers. Okay. In the hospital. So before we get to <clears throat> that, mm -hmm. you were making Halloween costumes, designing Halloween costumes. Mm -hmm. You were a part of a young adults group at the local parish. Mm -hmm. How did you wind up then deciding to join? And you were emailing these different religious orders. Mm -hmm. How did you make the jump then into, okay, I want to, I want to, dedicate my life to Christ and be a sister. What did that whole decision look like and was it difficult? Um, no, I don't think it's really difficult. It's um, more, um, I, when I was, that's like uh, around in 2000 and then that, 
when I was in LA, it was like in early 2000. But when I was discerning, it's maybe about five years later. So it's a little bit later than when I was working um, in LA. But my experience with my friend in LA was very um, the turning point, I think. Um, I didn't really realize this, but my sister told me that, um, yeah, you change after you went to that retreat. Um, so I guess I'm more, uh, I did, I do, I did a lot more service work in the church. I used to be the one that just goes to mass every week. And then I become, you know, I came to, um, any ministry, like, you know, bazaar or something, I help out. And, um, with a young adult, they have things going on. I help out, you know, so she saw that change in me. But um, years later, um, I finally came back to Texas, and um, I was staying with my sister for a while. And then um, one night, uh, after checking out all the uh, different religious communities, and um, after I emails people that didn't really go anywhere. One night, uh, we were watching a St. Francis movie. <clears throat> so one of our uh, friends from the Indonesian community um, actually uh, joined the um, Third Order Lay community for a Franciscan. Um, so I was uh, kind of like just wondering, I was like, what is that? You know, so I Google it. I Google the third order. Um, what does it mean? But then the sister of third order of St. Francis came up. So I emailed them and I asked them. Now, at that point, I already know uh, some of the things that they required, you know, you have to be single, practicing Catholic, no death, those kind of things. So I listed it. No what? Death. Death. Like, no debt? No debt. Financial like, debt? Yes. You have to be debt-free in order? Okay, yes. that's interesting. Why is that? Because um, you can, you will not be able to earn money, so you cannot make any more payments, you know? Mm. So you have to be debt-free. Interesting. Yeah. It's in a canonical, so you have to be debt-free when you come in. Oh. Whether or not you get help from your family or even like, you know, you can do fundraising. There's a lot of those things these days. And um, um, there's different uh, organization that will be able to help you also, like trying to do uh, fundraising. Um, and there's a lot of um, people that will help uh, for um, young women and men that wants to go be a religious or a priest. I see. Yeah. So I emailed them. I emailed us. I emailed them um, saying that, uh, so uh, besides being single women, um, that free and practicing Catholic, what else um, is required? You know, so I got an email back from the assistants of the formation director at that time she said well the formation director is out of town right now uh, she will contact you uh, as soon as she she can 
And then the next day, I get an email from the formation director and say, um, would you like to talk on the phone? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> kind of fast mm. you know but I was like okay so I sent her um, my uh, number I emailed her my number I was actually one digit uh, <laughs> wrong he gave her the wrong number yeah it was like one digit off and I was like oh my goodness because I was like <laughs> waiting <laughs> I was waiting and waiting I was like why is she not calling so I checked the email back and I'm like oh no <laughs> So I sent her email back, and then she she called me. I'm like, I'm so sorry, sister. I was like, that's a bad first impression. <laughs> so independable. So um, so yeah, she was like talking to me, and then um, asking me some questions. You know, so how long have you been discerning and things? And I said, I just started. Um, I don't know anything. Um, I was um, I went to Catholic school, but I never really thought about being a nun. I never really thought about religious life, you know. So I just started. What am I supposed to do, you know? Why did you want to do this anyway? I don't know. I was just. <laughs> what if it's a big decision? To be honest with you, I don't know exactly. That's why I was just kind of like, I just gonna look into it. Now, Were you that's, just in love with Christ, and you had. You need an outlet for that? I guess. And I was like just, and then I was laid off. And I thought maybe this is something that I was just making up. I made it up, you know. I don't know. And I was just kind of like, okay, um, okay, God, let me just look into it. And there's no promises. <laughs> just going to look into it because this is the one thing that I haven't done. I, need, I didn't know anything about. And... It just felt like I need to check it out. So I did. And I went and visited the community. And um, I was like, well, uh, seems like I can do it, you know. A clean car says so much about you. That's why you need to head to All-American Wash in Fairbury. From our massive bays, superior lighting, and undercarriage washing capabilities, to our high-powered jets, protective tri-gloss foam, and strong vacuums, you can be sure your ride will glisten like never before. Here at All-American Wash, ease of use is a top priority. Our carefully designed app lets you scan your phone for instant access into our automatic bay, while receiving discounted rates and free birthday washes. Our layout lets you get right back on the road without any uncomfortable turns. And we know Americans work long, hard hours which is why we're open 24-7 for your washing convenience. We have staff on site every weekday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. to help with anything you may need. And we even offer purified drinking water for only 25 cents a gallon. Experience the highest quality wash in Livingston County at an affordable price when you visit All-American Wash in Fairbury. It was because before I was thinking maybe I'm not um, good enough. I didn't. Uh, read the Bible enough. I didn't pray enough. I'm just not enough of a person to be a nun. <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah, just didn't feel like I was, I'm supposed to be one. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. When I look at the life of a sister, mm -hmm. it doesn't 
<laughs> no offense. It doesn't look that fun. First of all, you can't get married. You can't have kids. You work all the time. Uh, you can't make money. You wear the same clothes every day. You don't really go out and, you know, uh-huh. have some drinks with friends unless you do. I don't know. I know priests that do that. What what was attractive about it? Jesus. Jesus. Wow. Hey, that's profound. Yeah, I was like... Um, when I was over, when I was visiting, actually, um, I went to um, the uh, Saint Francis Medical Center Chapel. Have you ever been to Saint Francis? I've spent so much time at Saint Francis. My mom had a, a brain hemorrhage, oh, uh, series I'm of strokes too, and she she had to get a surgery at carotid. No, no, what was it? She basically had to get half her skulls cut off and then some stuff done to her brain she was in there for a while so me and my family were in there for months Uh and actually my girlfriend yeah oh yeah i was in the chapel the shrine of saint francis or no shrine of saint Saint anthony Anthony. i don't know why they had saint but anyway it's saint francis medical center (laughs) but i spent a lot of time in there and actually my girlfriend now is a nurse there so that place has a special connection with me and i've talked to some sisters there while spending time at the chapel and going to mass Uh because a lot of time there's a few sisters there so when was this this was in 20 i think 2020 the summer of 2020 or maybe 2019 okay but anyway yes i wasn't there anymore then um i moved to the mother house but um so you you went to the big chapel right on the second floor Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you see how big it is? It's like all these these like really nice, you know, curve. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you stumble upon that chapel, you're like, Whoa, how's this <laughs> hidden in here? Yeah. It was actually the um the mother we used to have the mother house there. So that's the mother house chapel. So it was that's why it's like it's the big chapel is for all the sisters to come. We used to have a really um quite a lot of sisters so the big chapel uh, accommodate for all that but so this story was like I came and visit and I was praying and I was looking up at the crucifix up there and I was like oh do you really want me to join a religious community and I was like oh god I will miss my jeans I <laughs> said you mean pants? Yes. <laughs> and I was like looking at him and I'm like, okay, never mind. <laughs> like, like that was a silly thing to say? Exactly. I was like, I was like he died for you. And you were just like, I will miss my jeans. I was, it, it's not comparison, but it just came out. So I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> It came, you know, this, like I said, I don't know anything about religious life, and I never thought about being a religious. So it's not like everybody else that I've been asking that said, I, I always knew since I was little. I, I always knew. I know when I was in third grade. I know when I was, like, second grade. Those kind of things. Never had, I never had it in my, my head. And it didn't bother you, the fact that you, this is a lifelong commitment. Right? It seems scary to the outside world. Everyone says, I, I could not do it. I want a family. I, I, want, I love love. I want to have a relationship with my husband. Yeah, I mean, until 
Until I entered 2012. Um, until 2000, I think it was 2010, I was dating somebody. You know, it was like I didn't think about it ever. So I was dating somebody and enjoying life. And, and then we broke up and then we were going to the Holy Land. But then we broke up, so he didn't come with me to Holy Land. I went by myself. Was he and, Catholic as well? Yeah. So I went by myself and talked to that sisters. You know, like I said, God is using all the things that are happening in your life, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and it's just, um, I just didn't have that problem to give up all that. You know, it's just kind of like, it's worth it. It's worth it for all the things that... Um, you will miss the, all the things that you won't do. It's just worth it. Like right now, um, I can always say I always miss my family. You know, I'm I'm close to my sister, and she's in Texas. And I have my niece just moved uh, uh, to Texas with her family. With my, um, I have two great niece. And her husband also, and my nephew is in uh, in Texas, also in uh, Dallas area, and a lot of family was there. And every single time, I'm like thinking, I miss all the things that they were doing. You know, it's just kind of like hanging out with um, friends and family, food, good food, <laughs> Indonesian food. You know, like uh, yesterday was actually my uh, one of my great nieces' birthday. So um, actually, it was kind of special because um, it was it's my uh, feast day. Also, it was uh, Mother Teresa's um, name name day, and um, so we share a special connection. She was born on the fifth, and my my niece just texted me the birthday picture of all the family and all the food. And I was like always kind of like oh, I miss that. But then it was like, it's not mine um, to have anymore. So it's okay because I will be uh, here in my place the way God wants me to do, um, to pray for him, you know. So um, it's okay. It feels fine, you know. It's hard a little bit, but it's worth it. Hmm. That's what I say. Why is it worth it? Because his love, you know, <laughs> you can't really describe. Oh well, I guess you can kind of feel it with you know, like you fall in love with somebody, and you just kind of like anything you want to do. You want to hang out with her all the time, right? Sure. <laughs> I feel yeah. like you want to be with her all the time. You want to share everything with her. Um, same feeling, you know. Would you say you've fallen in love with Christ? Yeah. Yeah. And when you pray, and when you feel especially connected to him, mm-hmm. is it enjoyable? Is it yeah. joyful? Well, I was not. I'm not going to say that I'm perfectly like always there. You know, even like the saints never say like that he's always there. I felt him always here. Mother yeah, Teresa. No, I mean, uh-huh. oh my gosh, <laughs> years and years of darkness. Like, yes, uh, God. Yeah. You gave me this vision on this train a long time ago, and now I'm, I am committed my whole life to you. I've made a lot of hospitals. We've helped a lot of people, saved a lot of people, converted uh, a lot of people to you. Now you're so silent that I don't even know if you were real to begin with. Mm-hmm. That was Mother Teresa, St. Teresa. Yes. That's, That's incredible. That's the darkness and, of souls, and I'm not there yet. If mm-hmm. I am ever 
there, I think that's even the best place to be because um, God is really uh, trust your soul, trust you enough. Not He trusts you that he doesn't have to be near you. He knows you love him anyway. He knows how good you are. That should be taken as a compliment. <laughs> mm, yeah, I guess in some <laughs> twisted way. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he knows he won't give you more than you can handle, I guess. And yeah. he refines you. He not he gets rid of all the bad stuff. He puts you to the test and mm-hmm. makes you stronger. And when you're Mother Teresa, you can handle a lot and you'll continue to persevere. So he gives you all you can handle, which is yeah. kind of not appreciated. <laughs> You know, well, I don't. I think he. I think she knows why, and I think she knows. Um, you know, uh, what she went through is for the good of her soul. Also, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that I think um, people like her. It's just saintly. You know, you you know them already there, and we know how how come God doesn't know. He knows better, right? We know. We we can see holiness in people, right? It's just kind of like, whoa, he looks like he's going to look into my soul here. Kind of like, <laughs> mm-hmm. don't look at me. You can't kind of, you don't, you can't stare at them. But this is the kind of like, I mean, yeah, God knows and God trusts them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's interesting what you said about when unholy people look into the eyes of someone or something holy and mm-hmm. they're like, wait, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of like it's because it's a bright light that casts light on their insecurities or yeah. their impurities. Yeah. No one who's in a horrible life of sin likes to be around someone who's super holy unless they're focused on getting better. Yeah. But if they're not focused on getting better, all it does is cast a light and shows it's like a mirror. Yeah. Shows them what they are and they're like, Oh, I don't I don't like that. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, I don't know. There are times that I still feel kinda like uncomfortable uh seeing like a priest that I know that is just kinda like there's something about him that just wow me. Maybe I'm kinda like shy or something about it, you know, but I don't know. It's just I can't describe it, but there's that thing that you kind of like. Um, uh, you want you want to be near the person that's holy, just to get like kind of like a holiness from him, kind of mm-hmm. like osmosis, kind of like yeah. you know. But it doesn't work like that. But um, you kind of um, enjoy the time, but then you don't really want to be kind of like hogging him for for all that you know it's it's not productive for yourself or him so you have to work on your own holiness you know so um yeah i mean i have you know priest friends and things but um you can you can kind of feel that from different different priests different um i want to say vibes but yeah Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) Everyone kind of gives off some kind of, oh, gosh, talk about sounding woo-woo. You don't want to say you give off some vibes or energy or anything (laughs) like that. 
Fairbury Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. And right next door to their gorgeous 7,000-square-foot furniture showroom, you will find the Fairbury Furniture Mattress Store, home to all of the latest and greatest mattresses in any and all sizes. Also inside Fairbury Furniture is the popular WC Market, a beloved shop that offers an ever-changing selection of unique gifts and fashionable home decor. Here at Fairbury Furniture, the staff is always helpful and friendly, and they are well-stocked with all the mattresses, tables, chairs, recliners, couches, and decorative pillows that your heart desires. So make your home interior your beautiful, comfortable, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairbury's own Fairbury Furniture. Come on down to Fairbury Furniture where the furniture rocks. Right, but I mean, I don't know how else to put it. If you're yeah. around someone who's very holy, you can feel that. Yeah. It's an aura. It's uh, something. Yeah. But you you know when you're around it. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you some questions, just straight up questions. Sure. Let's cut to the chase here. You work at OSF. Mm-hmm. You're a sister of the Third Order of St. Franciscans. Do you... Order of St. Francis, I mean, this. did they make this hospital? Did a group of sisters create OSF as we know it? The biggest hospital chain in America? Or one of them? Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, I don't work in OSF anymore. I used to work in the um, ministry, uh, mission integration, mission services, um, basically kind of catered to the mission partners. But now I am the vocation director of the Sister of the Order of St. Francis. So I'm kind of out of the healthcare. And then, um, so the beginning of it is actually our sisters came from Germany. And they went, um, they leave German because of persecution there. And they actually... Um, they Was this during World War II, like Hitler and stuff? No, it's in 1880-something. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. 80s, I think. So it was a long, long time ago. Um, so they came to, uh, they landed in New York, and then um, some of the sisters also uh, moved to Iowa. So they moved to Iowa, and then their plan is to take care of the orphanage because they used to have an orphanage in, in Germany. And then um, because of uh, the condition, they just lived very poorly. They went out to do begging trips. Now there's about four sisters, I think, went down to Peoria area because they know there's a German um, priest that work here. So they finally arrive here, and then the German priest was um, asking the sisters to help in the hospital that he was, you know, ministering to. It was actually um, a public hospital. And then so the sisters just, uh, they're not in the healthcare, so they just help with, you know, cleaning and everything, you know, just help what they can do. The priest was so impressed, and they, uh, he asked can, if they can stay and run the hospital. So um, 
finally, um, the sisters that was that came here asked their mother superior in Iowa if they can stay. And then um, they were granted, and then some more sister was sent down. I think there's like three more. And then um, Peoria around that time is still not a diocese. Uh, around the same time, uh, the first bishop was appointed, um, Bishop Bishop uh, John Spalding, John Lancaster Spalding. Okay. Yeah. So he was um, appointed to be the first bishop. And then um, he agreed with the priest that they need um, these sisters to stay. So he uh, basically become our uh, co-founder uh, with our foundress. Uh, they decided that we become a community by ourselves. So uh, the Sisters of the Roder become a, co- a community itself. Hmm. And <clears throat> we start in that South Adams uh, Street, uh, a small, oh, basically, it's like basically a house. Um, it become a hospital, and then we got the property in um, the uh, Glen Oak right now. Like started small, and then it's just become bigger and bigger. And it was called the Hospital of the Order of er, uh, of the Sisters of the Order of Saint Francis. Francis, no, <laughs> no. jeez. Uh, <laughs> the OSF Healthcare System is. It, that was later on, okay. but um, it started with the Saint Francis Hospital. It's Saint Francis Hospital. That's the name, and then it becomes Saint Francis Medical Center. And um, we actually um, have uh, maybe uh, you know we went to uh, places where we are asked to go. So we went there to, um, we started this uh, St. Francis Medical Center uh, because the bishop was asking us to stay. And then um, there's more hospitals, um, um, more area asking for the sisters to open a hospital. So we came and then we opened a hospital and help people. You know, most of the time it start basically with a little clinic, you know. And then um, it becomes hospital afterwards. And uh, when I came in 2012, we I think we're up to I think nine hospital around that time. And then um, one by one, the smaller um, hospitals in the area or around this area, asking the OSF healthcare if they can join the healthcare system. Because um, in a healthcare business, basically, um, <clears throat> when you are a small hospital, you can't survive. You need a system to belong to, to mm-hmm. belong to. Because, of course, cost is really high, you know. And then doctors, you have to share doctors, basically. All these doctors, it goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't just stay put in one hospital and not going anywhere. You right. Know? So they serve um, big area in the the 
healthcare system, basically. Okay. So OSF, mm-hmm. like these little states, this mom and pop hospital, mm-hmm. and they're in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. But there's a big OSF hospital in Peoria, and they're like, hey, uh, a lot of insurance places don't necessarily want to work with us because we're so small. Can we just jump aboard with you guys and you guys can kind of run us and then that way we're just another location for OSF and more insurance can come to us, more people can be sent to us, more doctors can run through here. Is that kind of how it works? You can say it like that uh, in like an easy uh, practical way, but there's of course a lot of things involved with it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, because especially the ones that was – asking to join us is usually uh, going down, you know, meaning like they don't have money financially is going down. And so the sister will look into it. And most of the time, we, um, we don't, um, like we get the hospital with their, all their debts. You know, it's like, you, know, you have to pay them all. <laughs> Yeah, it's That's why you couldn't join the <laughs> sisters until you had your debt paid off. It's not the same way, I guess, with small hospitals with debt. No, we are the one. No, we are the one that end up with their debts. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you have to pay them off. Right. Yeah. You can yeah. say that. But um, <laughs> uh, so the system uh, absorb it, basically. And uh, we try to help because, you know, uh, part of it being um, – Catholic identity in healthcare, you know, um, it's really hard to be in a healthcare uh, ministry around these days with politics and all the government rules and things. But we still try because it's human life, you know, it's human life. It's what God gives us. It's his highest creation, you know. How can we not, you know? And uh, when... When we look into a hospital, it's usually uh, we'll see the area. Do they need um, health care there? You know, of course. And then sometimes, like, for example, the one in, um, I think it was in Danville or, well, anyway, it was like it's really far from 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 that place to for the people in that area to go to the next closest hospital. So that's part of the decision that sister said, okay, let's keep it open, you know, help them to be open still. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to think about the, uh, it's a lot of things that you have to It's um, a complex operation. Yeah. 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 It sounds overwhelming, really. Yeah, <laughs> but you mentioned at the core of this hospital is Catholicism mm-hmm. and the principles and values laid out there within. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the sanctity of human life; it's the most important thing that God's ever created. Human yeah, life. Yes. That said, a lot of people don't like OSF mm-hmm. because they won't do abortions, and they're very pro-life, mm-hmm. at least at the core level, and what the church or what the hospital is about. Some of their doctors might have different opinions, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Will OSF ever allow abortions to be done in their facilities? So um, we are, um, the OSF hospital, OSF healthcare system 
is owned and run by the Sisters of the Order of St. Francis. We are a faithful community that uh, follow the church teaching and the magisterium. So as long as um, the OSF, I mean the Sisters of the Order of St. Francis is running the OSF healthcare, uh, we're not gonna do abortion in our facilities. Mm. So, yeah. Would you consider that even a silly question? Um, kind of has to be asked. Uh, maybe people will think that, uh, why not? You know, always people ask, why not? It's because we, it's not that we against, you can't really say that, um, you have to see it, we are pro-life, you know, we are, uh, pro-life, not just about the baby. It's also about the mom. It's also about the dad. You know, it's like abortion affect all that. You know, you think that it's just um, taking out the baby from the mom and that's it? No. The fact of it, it will um, run through. You know, there's a lot of um, moms that has been through the abortion that always have some, you know, um, regret or some, at least a thought, you know, it's just kind of like something that they did around that time. Right. Um, they might not want to say um, that they are, you know, but, and surprisingly, dads, dads also uh, affected by it. So, um, yeah, we, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've spoken to women, uh, who have had abortions mm -hmm. and they regret it a mm -hmm. lot. There's women that don't regret it. Sure. But it seems only logical to me that after you have an abortion, especially if you don't have any other kids, mm -hmm which is usually when abortions happen, it's like the first one, mm -hmm. you know, like not ready for it or something or whatever. And then when you see kids running around, cute kids running around, it's like, well, that immediately is going to make you think of the child that you could have had that you aborted, yeah. that you ended the life of. <laughs> and gosh, that would be so hard. That'd be so hard. Yeah. And I hope to talk to one of those mothers on the show one day just to see if they're so brave to talk about that. What it felt like, mm -hmm. what it feels like to know that your child is not going to ever experience life on earth as you have because of what you ordered to be done. It's a rough thing. Yeah. Abortions, I think, and maybe you tell me what you think, but I think it's the most moral evil in the world today, yeah. killing, killing the most innocent among us mm -hmm. that can't defend themselves or anything and their children. Exactly. Gosh. It's, um, yeah. And, um, I, I actually had a friend that had an abortion and this is when I was in San Diego and, um, this long time ago, she was, I didn't even know that she had an abortion, but then she was like talking to me about it. Suddenly she said, I just had, I had a dream about, uh, a little girl. She had two boys afterwards. She had, uh, she said, I was I had a dream about a little girl, and I was like, oh yeah. I said I didn't even know that she was talking about 
this abortion that she had. And then she was like, yeah, um, I had a baby and I uh, aborted. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) suddenly just tell me. Like she wasn't wasn't regretting it per se in that conversation. Um, But I still think about her and once in a while I kind of say a prayer for her. It just felt kind of like there's something there. Why she's telling me about the dream, you know? And she knows that I was um, Catholic because uh, I was visiting her um, in her um, in her city. There's a mission, and I said, "Oh, I want to go to that mission," you know. And so, uh, yeah, she knows I was Catholic, and I think she was Catholic too. At least she was. But um, yeah, even when you don't admit it. There's something in there in your heart that it's aching about it. Sure. Yeah. Right. Something deep down. Deep heart, yeah. Beyond the brain, beyond your psychology, down beyond the heart, into mm. the soul, perhaps, that still yeah. kind of knows. Yeah. That was your child, and you ended its, its life mm-hmm. for one reason or another. As we get towards the end of this conversation, I just have a couple questions, just kind of not fun necessarily, but just what I think are interesting. And I really want to get your thoughts on them. What do you think some Catholics push for this and some priests believe it will happen? Priests marrying. (laughs) What do you think of that? Being able to marry or are they called to be celibate for their entire lives? And is that the right way to do it? And the same with sisters and nuns. Um. I think there's a reason why um, celibacy is the call in religious life and priesthood. You know, um, Jesus himself never married, you know, and keeps saying that when when you're married, your um, responsibility is not going to be... Um, Everybody, I I can't say it the right way. It's like, for example, when you're married and then you're a priest. And like our chaplain usually get called at night to go to the hospital. There's an emergency or something. And then what if your wife said, no, I don't want you to go. Or your wife is uh, late in her pregnancy and say, no, I don't want you to go. Maybe I'm going to give birth very soon and you'll be in somewhere I don't know where and how am I supposed to contact you or something like that now how are you going to choose you know I think that's like very logical reason not to get married for if you're a priest because you'll be like oh my wife or (laughs) my duty as a priest you know Uh it's just I think it's an easy thought about it you know um what is it that one, um, um, because um, being married, um, what is it that you actually want from being, uh, from a married uh, status of a priest? Um, having children or the sexual part of it? You know, it's like, what is it? Because for me, having children, it's, it's my call, being a religious, that 
I didn't, yes, I used to want to have a children. Who doesn't want to have a mini me exactly like me? You know, it's like I did, but now I don't because I know that call, uh, God calls me to this uh, life and he's giving me the desire to be a celibate and push forward on to that kind of life um, instead of being a mom. Like, that's a different call, I always said. But even the religious that still wants to have children, they do have so many children out there. You know, we call them our spiritual children, right? Um, there's a lot of sisters that was such a good uh, teachers. They're teaching so many kids, and they're still having those children in their life. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, the satisfaction is still there. And <clears throat> the sexual part is, um, it's a natural thing. But when you're called to this um, life, like I said, the desire, um, yes, there's the desire, but the desire of being uh, to push forward in your life, being holier and pursuing something that's for the good of a greater um scope of humanity is there even more so um like you said it was like uh don't you miss going out with your friends yeah but i don't the desire is not as big as i used to have you know like Uh eh, it's okay i'd rather go to my evening prayer you know something Uh like that or if i have to go somewhere and I was like, oh, no, I will miss an adoration. <laughs> I mm-hmm. still kind of like have that thought in the back of my mind. Uh, I have to make it up somehow, you know, like mm-hmm. put my prayer time somewhere else. The pain of missing going out with your friends and mm-hmm. doing this and that is nothing compared to the joy and the pleasure yeah. <laughs> you feel in prayer and adoration. Then. Yes. You enjoy that more than you miss that. Yeah. I see. The the consolation, the things that you can't even describe. I always say that adoration is almost kind of like um, you're uh, soaking in the sun of grace of God. You know, it's just kind of like soaking in. It sounds like you like <laughs> prayer and adoration. Do you like it? Do you enjoy that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like I just felt like so peaceful, you know. Um, sometimes, of course, I never really felt like it was perfect one like I always just kind of like adore him or something like that no of course it's, there's time that I was like oh I think about something else or read something but at least I'm in front of him you know it's like what else where else I want to be beside in front of him right. it's just kind of like there's no other place. <laughs> you know what I think the key component of it all is? And yes, it's just you're not necessarily adoring him as the name implies sometimes. Sometimes you're just in his presence and mm-hmm. that's easy to understand all the time. You just think of your relationships. Some, mm-hmm. If you're in love with someone, you just, even if you're not talking to him, you just yes, like to be in their presence. Exactly. How much, how many more times powerful is being in God's presence and being in someone, some person exactly. you love? presence because that person's just a person they'll mess up they'll make you mad Mm -hmm. god's not like that Mm -hmm. much more powerful the love for him is much greater but oh darn what was i gonna say (laughs) 
But I was well, gonna, I was gonna say also, uh, of course you you want to um, keep that in mind. It's like it's something that you have to nurture. You know, it's like it's all relationship. When I first came, um, and I went to a vocation trip or something with uh, sister uh, when she was the vocation director. Um, we came into the house and I was just like, okay, put our stuff down. And I was like, and I was thinking about sitting down in the couch, you know, like we uh, take a, a rest a little bit. And she was like running to the chapel. Okay, time for prayer. And I was like, what? You don't even, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, following her. But now I myself, um, like I caught myself doing that, you know, it's like not in, not like intentionally, oh, I got to go. It's just felt like, yeah, I got to go. I need, I need him. I need to see him right now. You know, it's like I pick up somebody from the airport or something in the, in the car, I already say, um, by the time we reach the mother house, it will be t- uh, prayer time. Um, probably about five minutes. If you want to join me, um, we're going to run right away to the chapel. I <laughs> said, I already warned the person that comes in. Um, oh, yeah, or if you want to stay in your room for a little bit, you know, they usually come and visit us as, like, you know, discerning their their religious life. So it's like I don't want to force them <laughs> to go to travel with me, like, right away, you know, being traveling for hours in the, in the uh, airplane. But some of them's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'll just drop my stuff and, yeah. Yeah, I forget if it was, this is what I was trying to say that I forgot. It was either St. Augustine or St. Francis, mm-hmm. which would be nice, that said, Lord, my heart is, I'm restless until I rest in you. St. Augustine. Yeah. Augustine. Dang yeah. it, I was hoping it was Francis. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. We're made for God. Yeah. It only makes sense that when we're in the presence of God in the Eucharist and adoration or just in the church. Yes. That we feel this peace. And it goes beyond science. It goes mm-hmm. beyond psychology. It is something spiritual. Mm-hmm. This peace of the Holy Spirit, perhaps, comes when we are in close proximity to the literal body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Yes. It makes a lot of sense, and it's something that won't make sense to people that aren't Catholic, or perhaps not even to Catholics, but mainly to devout Catholics. Mm-hmm. I know people that are Protestants, believe it or not, that go to the Catholic Church just to sit in the church because for some reason— they feel peaceful, and I feel like you could understand that. <laughs> yes, he's there. He's there. He's there, yeah. And I always say it was like um, even when I was uh, working in St. Francis, I told um, the uh, mission partners that, um, you know, take some time, uh, some breaks or something, go into the chapel and just sit, you know. He's there. Jesus is there. Whether you believe it, whether you believe it or not, he's there. So sit, you know, just sit and enjoy. You will feel the peace. <laughs> Do you know Shia LaBeouf? Have you yeah. heard anything about him? Yeah, joining yeah. joining the Catholic faith, right? Big time A list movie star. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like I said, it was um, God can use anything that He wants. If He wants to do it, um, He will make it happen. So I. Um, it's easy for me to say it. Um, it's still I'm still learning to really believe in what does that mean? You know, like really surrender and mm-hmm. his mm. plan, his time, his time. <laughs> yes. 
patient. <laughs> if you're anything like me, I mean, I feel like a fool all the time because when times in my life, and I'm only I'm 24, so there hasn't been that many rough times in my life. But even during those small rough times, I'm like, come on, where are you? Mm-hmm. Like, are you even here? Like, am I just making a fool of myself? I've had that more times than I care to admit. And then, sure enough, God pulls through. Almost, I'm just like, all right, fine. I don't even know how you're going to do anything. I don't know if you're there, but all I'm going to do is trust you. And every time God eventually pulls through and I feel like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry I <laughs> I demanded you to do anything. I got mad at you. I'm sorry. Yeah. And now at this point in my life, I'm like, just when things looks like they're bleak and there's no end in sight and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, just trust God. Don't question it. Be a, It feels like you're an idiot sometimes, but at the same time, it brings you peace because God wants you to trust him even when it doesn't seem like you should trust him because he's not one of your buddies that you shouldn't trust when it feels like you shouldn't trust him. Yeah. You can put all your trust in God, Yeah, and it doesn't have to make sense, but somehow he'll pull through for you. It's like quit trying to figure things out. Quit trying to be so prideful. That's the lesson I've learned. Yeah. Quit and thinking that you can make it happen. Yeah, but it's just... um. It's our human part of us, you know, wanting to be able to do things like right away. Now, um, I when I was uh, discerning, uh, I remember it's like, okay, God, just let me know uh, what I need to do, you know, those kind of things. Like always questioning what it is. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, one time I told uh, a priest in confession, I was like, I'm mad at him because... I think he's ignoring me, I said. And he he started chuckling, and I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, if he ignores you, you will fail to exist. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) He is thinking about us all the time, and he's God. He can do it, right? So he's never not with us. He's always in us. And so we just have to ask him to make us understand it even more and make us believe it even more and make us surrender to his to his plans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's not easy for us to do it. But if he if we ask him, he will help us. I mentioned Shia LaBeouf mm. for two reasons. One was he lived with these monks that lived in a monastery. And I assume there's two different kinds of monks, just like there's sisters and nuns. There's monks that live in the in the monastery and mm-hmm. they, you know, do things like make beer and then they just <laughs> pray all the time. And then there's also the monks that go out and, you know, evangelize uh, and they're uh, on YouTube and yeah. they're doing those things. He was with the kind that stay and make the beer, and they do those things. They live in the monastery. And he said he was with one, and they don't care that he's a movie star at all. They could not care less. And he had some questions about God, and he was all frustrated, all out of sorts. And the monk told him, just shut up and go sit in the chapel in front of God and just shut up. And just don't say anything. Just be silent in front of God. And he said that changed his life. He said God spoke to him then more than ever in his life, and so much so that it was just a few more days until he became Catholic and did all the things Mm -hmm. that he needed to do. And he's very knowledgeable. And I listened to this whole conversation between him and Bishop Barron. And the second reason I brought that up was he said that 
the biggest component of his conversion was actually the Latin mass, the extraordinary form of the mass. He said because it was Latin, because there's such reverence in that mass, and because it was Latin and he couldn't understand it, he was sucked out of the intellectual side of being at mass and placed purely in the spiritual. And I thought that was beautiful Mm -hmm. because he couldn't understand and think his way through what was being said. And because there was no certain things that there are in the Novus Ordo English style of the Mass, he was forced to just embrace all the senses. Mm -hmm. And he said it was beautiful. And so I want to ask you, what do you think about the Latin Mass, specifically in the Diocese of Peoria? It's not exactly welcomed. Mm -hmm. A lot more places than not are being told no Latin Mass. Yeah. I know my parish in Fairbury has been granted the ability to still say Latin Mass. Mm -hmm. But what do you think about that in tradition in general? Are we taking away something that was beautiful that's been here for a long time and that might be problematic? Or do you think it's overall a good move? I think when the first time when uh, the church was changing it from Latin to Novus Ordo, um, it's because they want to reach out more, right, to um, get the people to get involved because um, um, honestly <clears throat> I haven't been to Latin Mass for a long time now um, there's used to be uh, one chaplain that did a Latin Mass and I'm not into it because I wasn't into it because I cannot understand it and the structure of the Mass itself is different Maybe it's the uh, high mass Latin. I, to be honest with you, I don't really know the uh, the differences. There's some mass in Latin, but it's still the same structure as the regular mass. And there's one that's like Latin and like the old mass. Mm-hmm. So I think he was doing the one that like the old mass because I can't follow at all. Um, I remember uh, when I was little, my dad took us to Europe um, traveling, and we went to Masses um, each Sunday. And I remember being in a church in Germany and France or some some foreign country that I can't speak the language. But I am so happy knowing where I am at Mass. And I was little. I was nine. I was like, I know exactly what they're saying. (laughs) Because it was... Wait, 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 was it Latin, you said? Or it was not Latin? No, it's in, in, it's in their language. But because oh, I see. it's Novus Ordo, it's like, I understand the Mass. You know exactly. they're saying the Our Father at this part. Yeah. They're saying the... Yeah. Okay. And when I came into um, to, uh, this community and that one uh, priest was doing the Latin Mass, I don't know where he is. And I get so confused. And I, I was trying really really hard to follow mm-hmm. and try to embrace this but it's not often enough that I will that I was able to really embrace it um, that's one I recognize where I am at mass okay and then the second one about being not understanding the language and get sucked in into the essence of it not intellectual I think uh, it will go both ways because I remember when I came here in the U.S. 
for two years, I was in. I went to mass in English, right? I understand English. I can. I can follow mass perfectly. And then I went to um, an Indonesian Catholic community uh, mass in Indonesian. Come to the Our Father, I was bawling. Mm. You know, because why? Because it hits me even more because it's in my own language. It's just like from the ear to head, just goes down to my heart. I was like, why am I crying? It's only our father. But it's different because you hear something so familiar and so touching to your heart. So I don't know. I, <laughs> you experienced it both intellectually and spiritually. Yes. The words and the spirit. Exactly. So I, I, I can't say I can't say by being there not knowing something um, it's helpful. Maybe for some people that's what it takes because maybe he analyzed everything. You know, he never goes um, beyond that, you know. Right. So some people need that. I think, you know what, I hear you, and you make great points. You really do, and Latin is a dead language. It wouldn't make sense for everyone to learn Latin, and then we go back to Latin. The conservative side of me is like, oh, we can't be changing the church. You know, change the church too much, it becomes liberal because it's changing. And then you don't yeah. want to do that because when you become liberal, you start to associate with the liberals. Okay. And within that is a whole thing, of, a whole lot of concepts that are anti-Catholic, I mm-hmm. guess. That's kind of the general framework of a lot of people that are against putting taking away Latin Mass. I love Latin Mass. I think it's beautiful for a number of reasons. One, Jesus likely spoke Latin. Mm-hmm. In fact, he almost certainly spoke Latin. And Aramaic. It, well, he spoke most likely. He was actually <laughs> trilingual. Just <laughs> FYI. It he was, actually can speak any language that he wants. But, yeah. <laughs> but I know that when I was in Holy Land, they said Aramaic. <laughs> yes, Aramaic was the language of the land, but he prob- a lot of the times these people from that region also spoke Greek because that was kind of the language of law at the time. But then they also spoke Latin uh, because that was the language of law or something at the same time too. A lot of people were trilingual though because when he went and spoke with Pontius Pilate, you can almost guarantee that Pontius Pilate spoke Latin. Mm-hmm. And then Greek, everyone kind of spoke a little Greek because I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, yes, he spoke primarily Aramaic. But... There's something nice about speaking the language that the church has been saying mass for over a thousand years, Latin. And then when before Vatican II, virtually every mass around the world spoke Latin, and that was nice because if you spoke Latin in America and you kind of knew the mass, let alone if you really knew the mass in Latin, then you go to Germany and then, oh, wow, universal church. I still, the mass is the exact same also in Latin. Then you go to Indonesia, also in Latin. And then you change it to the language of whatever country it's in. That's nice for those people, but it kind of loses that universal feel to it. But whatever, I guess. But I think the biggest thing about the Latin Mass is, for some reason, it's there's a ton of reverence around it. There's a whole lot more genuflecting, a whole lot more let's all face in this direction towards the mm-hmm. Eucharist. And I think that's what's most beautiful to me, that I fear being taken away in losing the Latin mass Mm -hmm. is that reverence. Because now I see kids running around and it hurts me. Oh, Sister Teresa Paul, it hurts me to see (laughs) kids run around and not genuflect 
yeah. then not receive the Eucharist on the tongue, and then not, um, and then chomp the Eucharist and not real. Ah, it's it's. That's rough part. For me. I think that's part of uh, education. I think it's not nothing to do with. I don't think it's. Uh, something to do with the Latin, something to do with the education part of it. And back to the language, actually. I remember I watched that uh, uh, interview also, and I remember he was mentioning something about uh, studying. Uh, he was Jewish, right? He mm-hmm. was Jewish, mm-hmm. and he was studying the, what did, what did they call the it? The Torah. The Torah. And he was studying it uh, phonetically. Phonetically, mm-hmm. because he was uh, going to his um, what is bar it? mitzvah. Yeah, for his grandmother. Remember that mm-hmm. story? Yeah. And he was just—he doesn't understand it. He was just studying it because he needs to pass this. Well, you know, it's basically it. That's he doesn't understand that part. Well, how come he can't understand? Um, you know, the same thing. He doesn't understand Latin. It's—it's it's the same. He was in the same place, but. At that moment, God is not carrying him into the uh, Jewish uh, religion, you know. But God is carrying him in in the mass, the Latin mass. I don't think it's the language. I think it's God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like God is working in you or not. That's it's true. Like, yeah. That's that's the main core of it. And how open are you in your heart? Because when you're not open, however much that you're exposed to the um, monstran with the Lord is there, you're not going to accept the grace, then God is not going to force you into the face and Mm -hmm. force you to accept him, right? He's very graceful. He's very gentle. And you accept the grace that he's giving, but it's up to you whether you're going to close your umbrella or you're going to put your umbrella up and against his grace. Like mm-hmm. a, his grace is almost kind of like the sun's, sun's shining on you. And if you want to open your umbrella, you're not going to get it. If you close your umbrella and accept it, you will accept it. <laughs> and I think, though, that people, priests namely, and educators of all Mm -hmm. sorts, are responsible for helping you to see the beauty of God, thus allowing you to accept the grace. And mom and dad. Oh, you (laughs) betcha. Oh, we don't disagree there, that's for sure. Oh, mom and dad, step one, stay together. Exactly. (laughs) And be Catholic. Step one, stay together and, you know, really um, be parents. Be parents to your kids, you know. Mm It's like I just felt sometimes it's like people are having kids. Uh, yeah, they don't know how to handle it because, you know, children doesn't come with instruction. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you take on half children, then you're responsible. You're, you are going to be responsible of another life. That's a huge responsibility. So. Huge. And more importantly, yeah. you're going to be largely responsible for another soul and the development yeah. of that person exactly. and their soul. Exactly. So it comes down to educators, I think. Uh-huh. I agree. And I hope that churches will give proper reverence mm-hmm. 
to the Eucharist and to the Mass and really be serious about it. That means yeah. genuflecting. Receive this on the tongue. Don't be grabbing Jesus like you, you know, without your with your dirty <laughs> hands and non-consecrated hands. And I think that's all important. And I think parenting is going to be massively important. Yeah. And all around proper education and proper reverence and proper talking about who God is and Jesus is and what Catholicism is and what the Mass is and the Eucharist, that it truly is the body and blood, soul, divinity of God, mm-hmm. Christ, that alone, because <clears throat> the majority of Catholics don't even believe that it's truly God. If we can just fix that problem by education, I think a yeah. lot of problems will be fixed. Yeah, even sadly, the Catholic there's a lot of Catholic this and even understand that yet. So we have to keep um, teaching them, <laughs> mm-hmm. talk about it even more. Yeah. yeah, get get more Catholics like you on the podcasts. <laughs> yeah, you, that's your job. <laughs> that's my job. Yeah, that is my job. You're absolutely right. <laughs> okay, Sister Teresa Paul, we've got. I mean, we we've talked a lot. Oh, about good. an hour and a half now. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and it's been a lot of fun. You've oh, come a long you. way from being born in Indonesia, coming to Texas, going to California, <laughs> getting your your fashion degree, joining the Sisters of St. Francis. Sisters of Third Order Third, of yes, St. Yes. Francis. <laughs> there we go. Right. It's been a lot of fun. I've laughed more than I realized I would in this conversation. Okay. Before we wrap things up, though, is there anything you'd like to say? I, I don't know what that might be, but... um, Just love God you know I think God is always there for you and um, if you um, sometimes his plan is uh, beyond our plan our own plan you know and um, the things that we think about is very just a smidgen of his plan so he still always have a bigger and better plan for us so if we love him and surrender to his will. Um, give him the steering wheel, and we go for a ride, and really go for a ride with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Fulton Sheen, great guy in this area. We have a lot of his here in this building that I'm in. We have some letters that ah, Fulton Sheen wrote, nice. and a lot of his pictures, a lot of his stuff. He said something like, "Tapestry." You know, these amazing mm-hmm. carpet-like art things. You weave that from the back of the image. So you just see one needle going like this and in and out. And then you pull the needle and then you just keep doing that. And on the other side of things, when you step back, you see a marvelous picture. Mm-hmm. But you, living in just moment to moment, because that's just how God made us. We live moment to moment. You just see the one thread. It looks like tedious, annoying, boring work. Uh, maybe you stab yourself here and there, but little do you know there's a great grand picture that if you just keep letting God weave, Mm -hmm. it's going to make this picture. I mean, that's pretty much how you have to live life, it seems like. Just trust God and sit back and ride the roller coaster and let the picture keep getting weaved. Yeah, and if you are um, parents or educator, um, start talking about religious life and priesthood too. (laughs) Right, right. And, uh, you know, promote vocation because we need need people to be in thinking about the um, vocation. We need priests. We need religious, you know. So hopefully uh, more 
more uh, young men and women be in his uh, field to work on the vineyard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. To be shepherds. Yeah. Right. I've heard that there's more nuns in America than priests. Is that true or is that baloney? Um, it's still uh, more than the priests, but not as much as it used to be. Hmm. I forgot exactly the comparison, but it's uh, the religious is going down. Of course, it's a little bit more because we, you know, one congregation has, you know, I don't know, sometimes there's hundreds of them mm-hmm. in one congregation, and there's only one priest for it. <laughs> right. And especially now, you know, there's a lot of priests that handle two, three parishes at the same time. Mm-hmm. have to be there for everybody. It's hard. Right. Well, I hope and I believe and I pray and I trust that it's just a blip right now in time. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it's just a little boop, and it'll, we'll keep going back up, God willing. Yes, God willing, and we pray. <laughs> right. All right. Well, sister, thank you again so much for coming on to the show. You're and welcome. everyone who's watched and listened to this episode, thank you so much for watching and listening to The Paul Garcia Show. Until next Sunday, God bless and have a great week.